0: Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 41 of No Meat Athlete Radio. This is Matt Frazier, joined as... Not quite always, but often by my co host Doug Hay of Rock Creek Runner. Doug, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a while since we recorded a podcast. I know. This is here. gonna be fun. Yeah. So I was away for a bunch of traveling, uh part of which we're gonna talk about today, which is the, the Runners World half and festival event, uh up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where we both were. And then I did a bunch of other just had a busy October, as I mentioned last time on the podcast. Um and I'm a little sick today, maybe from all that, but getting better. So not Ebola, is it? Not Ebola. I was I was about ninety five percent sure it was Ebola because I, I went to Dallas for my last trip. Oh man. Um yeah, which is like the, the Western hemisphere epicenter of Ebola. <laughs> Actually I guess Africa's not in the Western Hemisphere, I don't really know. No, but uh, it's not. No. part of it must be. <laughs> anyway. Um Yeah, but then I but then I started improving two days ago, so I'm no longer convinced that it's Ebola. Well. Which is good for you. I wish you would I wish you would have told me that uh, <laughs> before I came right. over today, but right. Uh no. So anyway we want to talk about Runners World today and then we're gonna get into the interview that I recorded with Golden Harper, who is the founder of Ultra Running, which they make the shoes, they're all zero drop shoes, and as we talk about in the interview, like the zero drop thing and the fact that they are foot shaped, uh not not wide or not big, they don't they don't wanna really call it that. Um, but just foot-shaped, meaning that the toe box is really large. Like there's just a lot of room for your toes to move around, uh, which is really nice. But if you look at it, it's shaped like a foot. Yep. Yeah. So if you look at it, even when you're wearing it, if you look down at it, it just looks a little bit different from a normal shoe. That yeah. The toe is not doesn't come to a narrow point the way that a lot of shoes do. So anyway, we're going to talk to him, or I talked to him last week, and we'll, we'll have that interview here. But uh, we just wanted to recap that whole weekend, because it was a blast. We had a great time. And... One of the highlights actually was Ultra's presentation. And this, by the way, Ultra is A-L-T-R-A, not U-L-T-R-A. That's their brand. So you've probably heard of them before if you if you pay attention to running shoes at all. But uh, we just – we love their presentation. I mean, I, like, I just have gone to a bunch of those things, Runner's World and other sort of media event things like that where you get presentations that you just kind of expect, like, okay, we get to go to this fun thing, but then we'll have to listen to – some sort of sponsor stuff which is fine like that's that's part of it uh but theirs was amazing like that was a really good presentation and i i walked away from that just wanting to really like their shoes and just try them because i i we both had gotten a pair before that and gone on a few runs with it but after that i was like wow i, I really want to like explore the different shoes they have and just find out the exact one for me and you know yeah
2: absolutely i felt i felt the exact same way i you know we had kind of hung out with uh, golden who's the one of the founders and a couple of the other guys uh, beforehand and i wanted to like their shoes you know and i had been wearing them and and had been enjoying them but afterwards i was like wow these are you know i don't know i just i was a total believer after that um after that talk and and to what they're doing and it is a lot different than than traditional running shoes um and their story of how they how they really started doing it and and discovered the whole zero drop philosophy is is pretty neat. It wasn't it's certainly not a a marketing gimmick, that's for sure.
1: Right, it's not. Yeah, you just I mean I got the sense from their presentation that they really had it figured out and kind of knew what just just knew understood a lot about running form, golden in particular, but I think everyone else there too. It just I mean he was citing all these different articles he'd read and I mean it just sounded like he has done a ton of homework on the whole topic of running shoes and uh also I mean I thought they were kind of a and they are fairly new, but I'm mean, relatively speaking, but I thought that like they had just were another kind of, you know, me too shoe after Born to Run and, and the minimalist thing came out Right. that it was like, okay, we're going to make zero drop shoes too. But according to Golden Lease, like they came up with that term, zero drop, and that that's their term. Mm-hmm. And I think all this happened before Born to Run got popular. I don't know if it was before it was written, but definitely before it came out.
2: Yeah. I think the company was about, about three years old, but, um which is probably younger than Born to Run but he had been altering shoes for long before that so before they became a, an official company.
1: Okay, cuz Born to Run has, has been out for a while. They came out in 2009 or 10. Or yeah. Right? Yeah. Day, but yeah.
2: so I don't know if the if Ultra outdates Born to Run but you know he's he's it sounds like he's been really playing with this philosophy and, and fine tuning the whole zero drop thing for for a long time which is really cool cuz I'm like you I thought it was just kind of this um, you know, new brand that came out along with all the other minimalist shoes and, and zero drop stuff uh, over the past few years. But it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that. And it, it, yeah, it's neat. No, no marketing gimmick there for sure.
1: Yeah. And speaking of marketing and gimmicks and things, they didn't, they didn't pay us to be on the podcast or anything like this was, it was exactly what we, thought. like it, we went to something expecting it to be a, a kind of promotional thing, but we just both took away so much from it that I was like, I got to get that guy on the podcast. So, uh, that, that's what this is too. I mean, just, we, we just wanted to share what his, so, you know, it's the first time we've had a brand person come on the podcast, but it has nothing to do with any sort of sponsorship or payment or anything like that. It's just, it's just, he has some great information. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Runner's World really quick. Uh, it was four days in all. I was only there for three of them cause I had to come home for my anniversary. I should say I wanted to come home for my anniversary, <laughs> uh, which I did. And uh, on Sunday, while you were running a half marathon, I was at the, the Marvel Live Superheroes show down in Greenville <laughs> with my son, which was awesome, of course. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't bad. It was fun. But anyway, we got there Thursday night. We both flew up there, along with probably 10 other bloggers, or maybe maybe 12 others. I don't, don't know the exact number. Yeah, I think it was
2: 15 in all.
1: 15 total. Okay. So we went there, and uh, first thing we did was, was took a bus over to Runner's World's... Headquarters, which do you know how to pronounce their their city that they're in? Ro- Ro- Rondale? I don't know. No, no, no. no <laughs> that's the publisher. Oh. The publisher is Rondale. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like E-Mouse or something, or E-M-M-A-U-S, I think is how you spell it. It's not Bethlehem, but they're yeah, really close. Know. Anyway, we don't know how to say that name. But that's where they're located. We went to their headquarters, uh, got to have a great dinner that was a lot of, like, I think fully organic, their entire cafeteria is yeah. all organic food. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is grown right there in this garden that they have, which we walked through to get to it. And uh, so we had good food. And then all that, I think, I think all the food then. No, we had veggie burgers. Yeah. The other food was mostly, I think, from the Runner's World Cookbook, but maybe not all of it, or maybe some of it was. Um, But anyway, we'll get to that because the next day, lunch was actually from the Runner's World Cookbook. Uh, but then we took a tour of, of their offices. So, like, we just got to see, you know, Bart Yasso's office. Actually, Bart Yasso took us on the tour. Yeah. Uh, got to see this little, like, meditation-type room. I don't, I don't remember <laughs> the name of that. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't either. Um, did that. Got to see all the different offices, David Willey's office. Uh, we, like, the whole wall with every single page of the upcoming issue, which is probably out by now, but the mm-hmm. up, the, the upcoming issue of Runner's World, um, probably probably the December issue they were working on then, I would guess. Uh, you know, every single page was up on the wall, and they were like, so, I don't know, 100-some pages out there, but there were some blank spots, holes in certain places where they were waiting to get that page done. And I don't know, that I thought that was a really cool process. It's, it kind of looked a lot like the Nomad Athlete headquarters does, right? Where we, <laughs> we have a hundred blog posts up on the wall, and we're just deciding it, which exactly, one's going to be next. Shifting them around, yeah. Right. No. <laughs> we're not at all disorganized here. This is, this is a totally <laughs> organized operation. No,
2: that was neat, though. It was neat to kind of see how a magazine like that comes together, and all these different articles. You can, you know, you know, could just see all the moving pieces that have to come together for, for that. And I think that um, it was just a few days out from having to send it to the printer, and, and there were still some things they were tweaking. And I don't know. That part was neat. And I also didn't realize, I guess I maybe knew it but didn't think about it, how Runner's World is in the same family as Men's Health and yeah. a, a several other magazines that, right. uh, in that.
1: Yeah, I didn't either. And Rodale things. also does a bunch of books too, like not not just Runner's World books but lots of books. Yeah, and Running, Running Times is, Running Time, is also good. Right. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Running Times in the same – are they all in the same place? All in the same. Running office? Times was, yeah. And there were a bunch of Men's Health covers on the wall from yeah, around the so world. Yeah, probably... so probably they are too. Yeah. I don't know. We need to find that out because that seems. I mean, I, I would. I would imagine if I didn't know better that a that a big place to publish all those magazines would be much larger than the place we went. But anyway, I guess we only saw one or two floors of it. So
2: yeah. Oh, and it was also cool to see the international covers that were different than some of the yeah. U.S. covers. Yep, I guess I hadn't really thought about that, but uh, that's that's a lot pretty more
1: new. a lot more skin was yeah. shown on international <laughs> covers. Yeah, a little
2: more scandalous. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that was cool. Um, trying to think what else. I mean, it was just neat to have Bart Yasso give us a tour because he's awesome, and it was it was just fun. So did that. Uh, went home or went back to our hotel, and then the next morning we had a really busy day before the races on the weekend once it got to the weekend, really, what we did was just do, do our runs. But uh, so, what did we do on Friday morning? First thing was was the scavenger, the scavenger hunt, hunt the yeah. amazing race they called it. Um, and we could we could put the video up with it. It was it was done by Running Skirts, who who will be certainly of interest to many of the female listeners, but not uh, of great interest to, to Doug <laughs> and I, except for our wives, perhaps. Because uh, actually, I have both runners world things I've been to. I brought back Running Skirts stuff that my wife Erin really likes and nice. wears. So uh, they in, they did that.
2: In that video, you can see us in wearing skirts. Yeah,
1: I think... and I know, oh, I get it. You definitely do. Opinion. I think I'm in it very quickly. You almost can't tell that I'm wearing a skirt, which is okay. good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so as part of that... Yeah, it was nice that they didn't discriminate gender there. They just had everybody <laughs> put skirts on, so yeah, yeah. we weren't left out. Uh, so we got to wear skirts, and then... They even had, like, a, a drone copter thing that yeah. that flew up. And, like, so in the video, you can see this aerial video of the groups all going out in their different ways. And it looks cool. It looks like a, like a legitimate, amazing thing. It is. Thing. It's, it's cool. It's intense. So we did that. Uh, ran around the town of Bethlehem probably five miles or something. you know And it's a pretty hilly town. There there were a lot of hills. Uh, ended up running. We had to run into the casino for one of the clues. That was that was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit weird. Uh Went back there later on, which was also fun. But <laughs> we, not so, in skirts. No, didn't didn't wear skirts for that. Uh, yeah, so we were running through the casino. We're, I was told to stop running in the casino, actually, by the by the security people. But that didn't prevent my group from winning the contest. So uh... we won. Our <laughs> captain was Danny from Weight Off My Shoulders, who we ended up hanging out with a lot that weekend. And uh, we we dominated the competition. I think our team name was the Dominators. Actually. Hey, we weren't that far behind. We <laughs> no. We didn't we didn't win by that much. But we did win and we all got ultra gift cards, which is the reason that I decided to have Golden on the podcast. <laughs> no, not really. But we did get ultra gift cards and uh that was really nice because I, I am into their shoes now. So that was the amazing race. That was cool. Um what'd we do next after that?
2: Breakfast and then uh, and then the ultra presentation. Oh no no then uh, um Bud coats. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Bud Coates, who you're
1: going to interview, right? Yeah. Or did you?
2: Not yet. Uh, okay. But that'll be coming up on Record Runner in the next week or two. Um. Yeah.
1: So Bud Coates is the author of a book called Running on Air. Is that the name? Yep. Yeah. So it's a book that is not entirely about breathing, but uh, the beginning of it, a significant chunk, I don't know, 30, 40 pages, is about breathing and how you breathe when you run, which is a really interesting topic. And I've written some... I, read, I wrote one No meet Athlete post about breathing Uh that was popular. Got a lot of comments. A lot of people asking about different things about it that I don't really know the answers to because I've only read two books that even mention breathing. A lot. It's just kind of an overlooked thing by coaches, and I, it's probably not an accidental overlooking. I think there's just not there's not much of a consensus about how do you breathe when you run, mm-hmm. and uh, it seems that elite runners don't really know how they breathe when they run like none of them or very few of them have a specific breathing method that they say they're trying to do they just do what comes naturally right this is what jason from strength running tells me and he knows more about this than i do Mm -hmm. but uh anyway the, the book is you've read the entire thing right
2: yeah yeah and what i what i thought was interesting about it is that he he started paying attention to breathing not because um he wanted to maximize the amount of oxygen that was getting into his blood system or something like that it was he was looking at injury prevention, and he realized that uh, one side of his body was always getting injured, and that was also the side that he was also breathing out on. Um, so his this whole philosophy is is alternate foot breathing, um, where you're rotating which side of of your body you're breathing in on
1: and which side of your body you're breathing out on, and that'll have less of an impact when you're, right. when you're landing. So to give a concrete example, the Nomad Athlete post that I wrote a while ago was talking about something like... It was about breathing through your nose, which he, I don't think, says you should do. He's more about saying, breathe in through your nose and your mouth. Just to get as much oxygen as you can. But the the breathing pattern that I was talking about in that post was one that was in the book I read, which is called Body, Mind, and Sport, if anyone's interested in it. Uh, and it was something like, you know, you breathe in for six steps. This was on, a, on an easy run, so you could you could get a lot of steps in per breath because you're just not exerting yourself. But it was it was like in for six, out for six. So what that means is that all your ins and all your outs are the first count is on is on the same foot. So what he was saying, if you were to try to do something like his, it would be, what does he do, a 3-2? Three, 3-2, two? Three, two, yeah. yeah. so that would be in for 3, out for 2. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Okay, because I've seen Chi Running has said things like in for 2, out for 3. I've seen different things like that. No, it's but anyway, in 3, out 2, yeah. Yeah, I think that's as close to uh, kind of a universal rule. Like It just seems like there's not, as I said, not much consensus about breathing, but I think a lot of people, a lot of coaches would, would agree with that part that say mm-hmm. like if you're if you're going to do it do make it an odd total so that right. you so that each you know your exhales happen on, on a different foot mm-hmm. each time so and makes
2: sense. and he actually he does have a, a chapter on restrictive breathing uh and used to breathing through your nose but uh, like that, as a training type of as tool? a training tool okay. yeah and i've been doing i've been i've been trying to implement his system uh, over the past few weeks and uh have really you know enjoyed it the mm-hmm. three two, I find myself wanting to do like four three on easy runs and stuff like that because three two right feels right. too much. But um, it's a good, it's it's really neat. Yeah,
1: yeah, that is neat. And so the book that I read before, it was he, I think he was sort of advocating that you should lengthen the amount of or increase the number of steps you can take per breath as you get better at it. Right. Which I guess Bud doesn't necessarily talk about or encourage. But um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's also a, a kind of agreed upon thing is that. When you're running harder, you need to take more breaths per per step, basically, or, mm-hmm. or take fewer steps per breath. Would be another way to say it. Right, that. right. Okay. So anyway, that's Bud Coates running on air's the book. Check out Doug's podcast or not his podcast, his website for an interview with Bud when it comes up, uh, which is going to be soon. You think, right? A couple weeks.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. It'll probably go uh, towards the end of next week. So cool. Once sure. that's up, we'll we'll put it in the link of this, but this will probably go up before then.
1: Yeah. yeah but... So RockPeakRunner dot com. If you haven't checked that out yet. So that was Bud. Then we did, uh, then was the Ultra presentation, which was, you know, we don't want to spend time on here because we'll, there's a 40-minute th- interview to go into that uh, in just a bit. And after Ultra, then we talked or heard from the people at iFit, right? Yeah. Which is the high-tech gadgetry type of stuff that the kids these days are into that I don't <laughs> really understand anything about.
2: Yeah, it's, it's uh, a. <laughs> there's a bunch of them. There's Fitbit and, you know, those kind of things. But iFit is the company that was talking to us and they do the like you know where you wear a little thing around your like a watch that counts your steps and is somehow able to track how you're sleeping you know what your sleeping patterns are and mm-hmm. calorie intake and that kind of thing uh,
1: so that was yeah. neat and oh. they have they have i mean these things they have treadmills that that go with their with their devices and i guess you could have this without their devices but they definitely do it and and it's to have it like a boston marathon treadmill that will simulate the boston marathon if you want it to right so like once you've covered you know 20 18 miles or whatever then heartbreak hill happens and your treadmill goes up and it gets harder so i mean you get two different courses and then i think they're doing also like you can you can have a tv in front of it or a monitor that it'll show right now it's at they'll, they'll take like google maps street view type stuff uh and they'll just change the images. So like as you know you run 20 yards ahead and then it changes to a new image of where you would be on the Boston course or yep. and I think you not just Boston you can set this to happen anywhere I don't know does the treadmill adjust do you know like can you just pick any location you want and have the treadmill Yeah I think you can like
2: run from your house and simulate a a you know a 3 mile trip from your house and it just uses Google Street View and whatever information it gathers from Google And the to elevation it. thing too so change that yeah so, that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. so yeah.
1: that's that's really neat I think uh but like you know, that's not that's not that related to bit i fit type stuff that you think of as wearable technology like that's kind of a different thing but they they do that also right yeah so, and, and I'm sure it integrates with the, with their i fit bandit on that mm-hmm. but yeah so the I fit band is cool I've used it mainly for uh, trying to have a quiet alarm clock I wear it to bed and try to use it to wake up yeah. so that I don't wake the kids up because I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before that they wake up at the drop of a pin in the morning so does it just vibrate? it just vibrates and uh. it doesn't wake me up. I sleep right through. <laughs> <laughs> I've never once successfully gotten up because of it. Uh so I don't know. Make it make it shake a little bit harder, I fit. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I think that's not the point. Like that's that's one little thing it does. It does much more than that. People also like at the thing we're talking about how they wear it. They wear it during the day. A lot of the bloggers were saying they wear it during the day to t- remind them every hour or whatever to get up and walk around instead of just right. sitting in your chair. So bawling. it'll
2: like it'll vibrate I think you know if you set it for an hour yeah
1: so that was that and uh that was good and then after that we went to was it lunch next oh yoga next yoga yeah. yeah so then we went and did yoga and uh so these these the company that owns iFit and Ultra also puts out a lot of this yoga stuff and licenses the Gold's Gym brand so we got a bunch of their yoga stuff and like uh, a rolling device and a foam roller and a bunch of neat stuff. Aaron was very happy to get that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Your wife, Katie, who is a is a yogini, right? mm mm-hmm. Probably probably already had a lot of that stuff.
2: Yeah, she did. But but uh, we brought home that bag that she she's mm-hmm. been using. That bag it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Which, uh, I can't. Do you remember the name of the company? No, I don't remember the name of that. We can put that in the show notes though.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, yeah, and also and the the folding yoga mat I thought was kind of a cool thing. The yoga mat that yeah. folds up instead that of rolls up. So you can mm-hmm. you can travel with it a little bit easier. And uh, so we did a little a little yoga type workout for runners, and it was a little challenging thing. It was fun. I mm-hmm. uh, had a good time with that. Didn't didn't hurt anything. So that was good. And then we had lunch after that from the Runner's World Cookbook, which I thought was really good. I was pleasantly surprised at at how good that food was and how vegan friendly the choices were there. The Runner's World Cookbook is certainly not a vegan cookbook or a vegetarian cookbook. But uh, I think there are a good, a decent number of options in there. Mm-hmm. That
2: and know, they all and they're all labeled vegan or vegetarian. Um, the ones that are, mm-hmm. we had some sort of mushroom fajitas that were yeah really good. They were delicious. Yeah,
1: yeah. I want to make those at home. Yeah. So they were good, and um, we had other things with that, but I don't remember exactly what that.
2: Well, we was. had a talk from from RWB.
1: I mean, like food stuff. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> we. <laughs> I don't um, remember what else we ate. Salad maybe. Yeah, some salads and stuff. Maybe from the Rosal Coke as well. Yeah, and then a talk from RWB, uh, a guy from there, which uh, is a group of veterans. And I don't know; see, I don't know that much about them. But if they're, I don't know if they're national or if they're just in the Northeast, they're national.
2: Yeah, they're national for sure. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's mostly a group of veterans. It's RWB stands for Red, White, and Blue, and it's just vets that get together and they train and have a good time and Mm -hmm. and then race, you know, a bunch of races together.
1: Yeah, because a lot of vets, as I'm sure everybody knows, have a lot of problems when they come back, often just as a result of what they've been doing for years and years. So the guy who talked to us particularly had had a big alcohol problem and uh, some other things as well. And this was one of the things that really got him turned around. And it sounds like he's he's crazy intense about running now. He said yeah. he basically swapped the addiction, you know, of drinking for, <laughs> for running. But like, and I've heard people say that before and joke about that. But like, that's fine. That seems, that seems like a good trade to me. You know, I would, yeah, I would trade that totally anyway. a lot of healthier habit. Right, so I don't think that's that's so bad to to swap addictions if that's what it is, but anyway, so that was fun, nice, inspiring talk by him, and was that it? Was that the whole day? Yeah, I think that was that, that was, was it
2: before the shenanigans. Yeah, I guess. then we went to
1: the expo and got our pictures taken on the runners one cover, mm-hmm. um, picked up bibs, did all that stuff, and then then got crazy. Went did did the casino, did karaoke in our hotel bar. <laughs> the comfort suites and uh got got a little bit out of hand not gonna (laughs) lie about that one that yeah that that was out of hand it got i think it got to be 1 a.m and we're like okay time for bed and then we came down and ate breakfast in that exact same place the next morning at like (laughs) 6 a.m where we did the karaoke yeah Yeah, that was a weird feeling walking back in there that was weird yeah but we, we were responsible nobody nobody did anything bad and uh we all we all still ran the the five k and ten k the next day so yeah. we took them easy but nobody nobody had any problems or anything so it was it was good
2: yeah it was fun it was the first time I'd ever done anything like that back to back races like that where you do the five k and then we had probably about forty five minutes right before the 10 k mm-hmm. uh, where we just kind of stood around and then started over and did another race and
1: it was it was different it was a different kind of challenge yeah it, yeah it was and especially i mean if you had been racing I think that would be really right. different if you were like saying my goal today is to get the, the lowest possible total time that i can get on right. these two races then it would be tricky because then it's like how much how hard do you work in one race and how much does that 45 minutes in between mess things up and that so that would be a different challenge uh we we took it easy which we kind of decided to do ahead of time we said we we're gonna take this thing relax and that was actually really fun like i i mm-hmm. really enjoyed that because i feel like every time i run a 5k i haven't i don't think i've ever done a 10k until that one hmm. but every time i run a 5k I, like even when i'm not in peak shape like now like like now i'm not in peak shape um you know i still like run it really hard and try to get my best time right but it'll be a minute off my pr so it's like why did i i don't know i guess i'm sort of being like the goal oriented and i want to kind of like just beat my best time or not do it at all it's like okay why did i run hard to to uh, not PR by a whole minute, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> and why do I want to vomit while I was running? Uh-huh. Not not related to karaoke the night before, but like just general like when I run a five k, it makes me want to puke. It's just like really hard compared to a marathon for me.
2: Right. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. That was the first time I had, I maybe ever run a road race where I wasn't like you said trying to yeah. go as fast as I could, and and it, I mean it was a lot of fun. We chatted with other runners, and you know it's kind of like a big giant enormous group run, but you have the support of a race where you have water, right. and You have Bands and yeah, all that kind of stuff. You know, it was it was fun. We took selfies. Took selfies. With, Never done with that with David,
1: the the editor in Cheese uh-huh. Brothers World. Yep, that and we cool. we
2: ran with uh, Liz, Liz um, the comedian. The comedian. Yep.
1: yep. Yeah, so that was it. Was really fun, and and did did the whole nine point three miles and had a good time. It was a really nice time. Great course too. I really enjoyed their their I don't know the hilly the hilliness of the course in the beginning was very nice, and it was a nice kind of fall day so just good Mm -hmm. yeah all around good experience
2: even did like dances across the finish line
1: yeah (laughs) right you sure did yeah (laughs) yeah so that was good and uh then we went and had some pizza with vegan cheese on it and uh and then i i shipped out flew home and then you guys went and had to do the comedian after that right
2: yeah we did um the comedian and um talked hung out with golden for a while, and then had another dinner with the runner's world editors, but that mm-hmm. was open to the public. So anyone could get a ticket to that. Right. Um, and so it was fun. We just had a much more relaxed evening, hung out mostly with, uh, Danny from weight off my shoulders and Presley from run pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and just prepared for, went to bed, got in bed early for the next day was the half marathon mm-hmm. and then, and the same group that, you and I ran with on, on Saturday, ran together on Sunday, so we did the half marathon and, and it was, had the same philosophy about you know just having a good time and, and taking it easy during, during the race. It was, it was funny when we were looking at the splits afterwards we were in the 5k the 10k and the half marathon at the exact same pace like down to really? a second yeah <laughs> i
1: mean i noticed that we did that with the 10k uh-huh.
2: yeah which is kind of funny cuz wow, you know that's the, to be such drastic changes in distance but that just kind of yeah. shows you how whatever and our to pace. be like
1: stopping to go to the porta right and it was still another yeah marathon. yeah that's we had funny. two
2: stops for porta potties during the half marathon <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh and the girls there was a at I don't know maybe mile 10 there was a running skirt did a, a the water stop but then you could actually put on they were just gave it giving out I skirts if you put it on and, and finish the race in it and so the girls got skirts and um you know it was, it was a lot of fun it was a good way to round out the the weekend for sure good
1: well i'm sorry i missed that last day i would have enjoyed that but i had fun too <laughs> yeah all right cool so that uh that wraps it up Thank you to Runners World for having us, and so we we loved it. And, uh, and thank you to the sponsors who we've we've mentioned here, and I think there were some more too who we're not remembering, but uh, you know whatever, do what <laughs> we can. Um, so yeah, so it was it was great. It was a fun time. And uh, if you get a chance to come to one of the Runners World races, either their 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 Runners World Half in Bethlehem or the Heartbreak Hill Half and Festival in Boston, which I went to earlier this year in June, and have a blog post about that. Uh, you should do it. They they really the races were very well put on and and very nicely done. So it's yeah. fun. good talks that you get to see and stuff stuff like
2: that. It was cool and and I think that you know obviously we had met some of the editors and everything, but they did a good job. I felt like I was a part of a runners world event even during the races because all the editors wear their runners world shirts and they all right. want to talk to you. And David, yeah. who's the editor in chief, starts uh, in the back and makes his way up. Obviously not to the front front, but he just stops and runs with you know anyone who he, he sees and is willing to talk to him. and right. I don't know. That kind of stuff is pretty cool.
1: It is. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So, good event. Uh, all right. So, let's go to the interview with Golden now, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. All right. Hey, everyone. It's Matt. I'm here with Golden Harper, founder of Ultra Running Shoes. Golden, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks. Great. Well, thank you for being on here. Uh, it's it's a real pleasure for me because, like we said in the intro, Doug and I had a really great time at the Runners World event hearing you talk. This is the first time that we've had uh, a brand, you know, the head of a brand, be on the podcast to talk about their brand. Usually, it's it's uh, authors or you know just other interesting people. So I think to some people this will come off like it's an ad, uh, but it's absolutely not. I mean, we had we had just were blown away by your talk at Runners World. Neither of us had really worn ultras that much. We had tried them out a little bit. But we both said the same thing coming away from your presentation about the shoes, which was that now we really wanted to love ultra shoes. And it had been like, you know, because as you've said, and I'm sure you'll explain it when we when we talk here, the uh, the toe box is a little bit bigger (laughs) because it has the foot shape and it doesn't feel like a traditional shoe. I mean, you know, it's not as snug around the toes and everything like that. So, you know, it just feels different. And at first it was like, okay, this is this is different. But after hearing you talk, it's like okay, now I understand why it feels different, and you know, so I, I'm really looking forward to it. I still have the, uh, the, I don't know, I'm blanking on the paradigm. I think the the yeah. maximal one, yeah. So I still have that, waiting to get the the more minimal one. That's kind of a more of an everyday shoe for me. But uh, anyway, I wanted to just dig in with the company and also talk a lot about running form. Why runners get injured, because it's it's very clear or was very clear from your talk that you had done a ton of research about this sort of thing and just know so much information. So hopefully we can just give people a lot of really useful stuff about that. So awesome. to to get us started, um, I think a lot of people who have read Born to Run, which is a lot of people, <laughs> know that, that runners get injured. I think, I don't know, 70% might be the figure that was quoted there. Um, why is that so much? I mean, from your perspective – Down to, you know, one or two or three reasons, why do so many runners get injured?
0: Well, um, I think the first reason uh, is that this is the only sport that we don't teach people how to actually do the sport um, before we tell them to go do it. So, um, you know, there's a joke about throwing people in the deep end of the swimming pool and hoping they learn how to swim kind of thing. But that's basically what we do with running. And if you look at any other sport, uh, the majority of time is spent on technique with a smaller percentage of time spent on actual physical conditioning and training. And uh, running is the really the only sport where we spend virtually no time on technique, even people with coaches. Um, no time on technique. Uh, those of you who ran cross-country in high school or college uh, can probably think back. And if you were one of the few that had your coach actually you know, teach you about arm positioning or or um, leg angles, or landing angles, or um, posture, or cadence, or vertical oscillation, or any of these things, you would be extremely rare. Um, so even in, even at the levels where we're coaching people, we're not we're still not giving technique. So to me, that's number one. Number two, uh, we know from the research, repetitive motion. Um, this is why uh, treadmills, um, even though they're soft, or tracks, um, even though they're soft don't provide less injury, uh, than, uh, the road, for Mm -hmm. example. Um, so non-variable surfaces, um, joint torque we know is, um, probably more of a contributor to injury as well than even impact. Um, and so to me there, you know, there's a few reasons we basically run in straight lines on flat surfaces, uh, without knowing how to minimize the risks and that, uh, and then the biggest one I can't prevent, <laughs> uh, runners are just going to overtrain. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, we just can't hold ourselves back. We just can't do it, you know. It's like we get so excited about the progress we're making or whatever, and we just take it too far every time. So, you know, I joke all the time, like, hey, we can work on your form and your technique, we can help you with your training, we can get you on, you know, um, uneven surfaces. Uh, but when it comes to getting you to not overtrain, <laughs> you i don't know do it. and 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 realistically that's probably the, the number one contributor to injuries. So. okay
1: really. so it's interesting to me that you didn't even mention running shoes like you didn't you didn't go to blaming all the modern running shoe technology uh that you know with the big cushioned heel and and the the big drop between heel and toe i mean is that that's a major contributor right or is it just not are you just thinking that's not doing what it should to prevent injury
0: uh, i think that's wrapped up in technique and you know uh I don't want everybody to come here and think they're just getting a bunch of propaganda from Mm all. Um, so, um, but for sure, I mean the reason the company was started because of the video analysis we did on, um, when uh high speed video first came available and let us see things in slow motion really clearly, it was very obvious that runners ran, uh, you know, a certain way in flats or spikes or, or no shoes or five fingers. Um, And then as soon as we put on traditional running shoes on their feet, everything went out the window, looked definitely different, uh, landing farther in front of their body, worse landing angles, worse posture, more impact, more joint torque, all that stuff. So when we looked at all that stuff, it was like, dang, you know, we got to do something.
1: Right. Okay. So I I do want to get, I want to go back there and talk more about um, the minimalist thing and and why we've kind of seen the the sort of backlash and and all the reports of people who got injured with minimalist shoes when they were supposed to save everybody, um but but first while you're on the topic of just how the company got started the story's great with with the toaster and all this and, and the way you tinkered with shoes when you were younger so can you just tell us like the short version of of that and just you know I it, it's it said it sounds like you started the company deliberately once you saw all those things but the beginning of it it sounds like it was almost accidental just kind of messing with shoes and then people started wanting them so can you give us a little bit of taste of that
0: yeah. Um, the short version. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> well we, uh, I was, uh, working at and managing, uh, the running store that I had grown up in that my, my, uh, family, uh, owns. And, uh, at the time I had just come back from living in Hawaii for a couple of years. And, uh, I just told you about the video analysis we were doing in the store. And so really the whole thing, I never meant to start a shoe company. Uh, I just meant to help my customers at the store and as we were trying to you know fix the injuries of our customers coming into the store, we did this video analysis and, and found this huge differential in running technique and running technique was huge to my dad as he's bone on bone and literally has to run with great technique or, or Kenyan or African running technique to be able to run it all. And so uh, when we saw the video, showing that the shoes we were selling people were making people run with worse technique than they otherwise were and causing more, you know, joint impact and, and uh, joint torque and whatnot. We were, you know, alarmed, I guess, and we thought, you know, we need to figure something out here. And so I had the theory that, well, you know, as we, as we watched the video, the difference is when the foot swings out in front of the body, the the heel drops – and then as the foot swings underneath the body, the heel catches the ground earlier than it otherwise would. Um, and so, uh, you know, I had the theory that the weight in the heel was causing the heel to drop when the foot swung out in front of the body. And then the excessive height of the heel was causing it to catch early since it was already in that, um, you know, heel down state, basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I went home and popped a pair of shoes in the toaster oven. <clears throat> <laughs> and uh i know everybody laughs it was like normal at my house though I, <laughs> like i was you know it's like i did this and went upstairs you know hey just pop these shoes in the oven and did this and you know my family's like yeah okay cool <laughs> <laughs> you know it wasn't like okay you weirdo uh, right
1: and the, and the reason just to clarify because i had to ask you this when we were there what is you said that that kind of softens up the glue so that then you can take the the sole off is that right
0: Right. And that particular shoe, I took it a little too far and I melted like the laces and <laughs> some of the TPU in the upper. and It was one ugly beast. But, um, the point is I got the midsole out with the raised heel, took the outsole off, put in two flat pieces of cushy Spenco foam, um, and put it back together and then, you know, made sure it was weight balanced. So, you know, take the shoe 50, 50, make sure that the front of the shoe weighs the same as the back of the shoe. Um, and, uh, and then went and ran, and then checked out the video, and I was blown away. Both running in the shoe, because for the first time, I didn't have to fight my shoe when I was wearing a regular, you know, cushioned training shoe. And uh, you know, then looking at the video, precisely what we expect or what I had expected to happen happened. As um, as the foot swung out in front of the body, it stayed more parallel to the ground, and then without the excessive heel height, the, the foot was able to swing more underneath the body and let the body land in a position to let that big three foot spring from your hip down to your foot bend and absorb impact. So the landing was more bent knee. The landing was closer to the body instead of more out in front of the body. And we know all that stuff reduces, you know, initial impact about three times, which is a huge number and joint torque, um, anywhere between 33 and 45%, which is also a huge number, um, with that. So, so that was really kind of how the first ultra prototype was created, I guess.
1: Okay, and then people started started actually wanting those shoes, right, at your store?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was kind of an accident too. Uh, <laughs> I, if I remember correctly, we had we had a customer that had kind of tried everything. They had this knee injury or whatever. Tried, you know, the most supportive shoes, most cushioned shoes, orthotics, physical therapy. Couldn't fix them. And at the time we were tinkering this, you know, we knew on the video people looked a lot better. And, you know, we were improving their technique and reducing torque and impact. So it was like, well, hey, we got this idea. You know, you've tried everything else. This is kind of a last-ditch effort. We took this shoe. We cut the heel cushioning out of it. um, And, uh, you know, we've expanded the uh, toe area um, and skipped the laces on the bottom half of the shoe, basically. And, you know, it should let your foot relax more, should help you run a better running technique, and, you know, maybe it'll help your knee, maybe it won't, I don't know. And as it turns out, you know, it, it did. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, this person started telling friends, and then they started coming in, and uh, we were working with a shoemaker down the road. Uh, we built, like, 20 pair to test with our staff, basically, um, and so... Anyway, people started coming in. They, they wanted to try the modified shoes. And we were like, you know, there there are no, they don't exist, you know. And in the, about this time period, I guess right after people started trying them, I came up with the term zero drop to describe that the cushioning no longer dropped from the heel to the forefoot. If you look at any running shoe, the midsole is twice as thick in the heel as it is in the forefoot. So the, the, the shoe literally, you know, the, drops from the heel down to the forefoot. Had to come up with a creative name happened to come up with zero drop and then people started coming in and saying hey i want to try the zero drop shoes and we were like well there's no such thing (laughs) and and they're like oh i know this guy and he says you have them and we know they're in the back you know and it was like yeah okay that that is true (laughs) so we would go grab these modified shoes and people would try them and, and we were starting with like original, like, jazz originals from, like, you know, the shoe was first built in 1984. tough uh-huh. Ghetto, this outfit, was it, in the beginning? <laughs> and yet, people are having amazing success with it and telling all their friends to the point that it kind of got out of hand. Um, I and mean, it was just crazy. It was cultish in a way. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of how things got going, and we sold, like, a thousand pair that first year. Um, people would, would buy a shoe. What we did is we had pairs they could try and then they would buy the same pair non-modified and take it a mile down the road to the shoemaker and pay him the 20 to 50 bucks to get it modified. <laughs> so, and then we, we did a smart thing. We sent out surveys with all these shoes to determine what was happening. And so we got just tons of surveys back, you know, showing like, yeah, you know, um, you know, it helped this, it helped that. It changed this, it changed that. You know, it didn't change this, it didn't change that. So we really had a wealth of data um, because at the end of the day, we were really just trying to help our customers. And the last thing you want to do as a running store is is hurt your customers because then they aren't going to come back. Right. And so that data was really important to us to know, you know, what effects the shoes were having and if they were actually helping the customers. So, and as as fate had it, you know, uh, they were
1: superb. So. Gotcha, and we should explain. Ultra is is spelled A L T R A since this is a podcast and people are mostly listening to it. Yes, um, and that that harks back to to altering shoes or or an alternative or what is it?
0: Yeah, you, yeah I would say it's um, so the the initial name we had was Altera, which uh, due to trademark issues we couldn't use. Hmm. And Altera means uh, to mend or fix something that is broken in Latin, I believe. Um, and that was literally what we were doing at the store. We were altering these shoes to basically fix people and their injuries, you know? Um, and so that was kind of where it came from. And then we, we had to change the name and, um, you know, we run ultras and ultra distances and, um, we were altering shoes. So alter plus ultra. Ultra. People's Ultra, basically, oh, yeah. and then on top of that, you know, we definitely look at this as, you know, an alternative to what your kind of traditional shoe has always been. So, gotcha.
1: Yeah, and it's cool to me that you that you came up with the term zero drop because that's, you know, I, I didn't realize that was a a uh, you know trademark or branded term. People just throw it around like it's 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 what it is. And I think maybe people didn't realize that your story was this all was happening before the minimalist boom really started, right? I mean this was yeah. you guys were the first ones to really be doing this other than the you know the people who ran barefoot to begin with, who you know the people who just never even had shoes like the uh Tarumar, you know those types. Yeah. Um so you you mentioned that you thought the Can I can I, go I ahead.
0: interject real quick? Please do. I think um and I appreciate you mentioning that. Um and I think the real interesting thing there is zero drop was a cushioned shoe term. It was referring to the cushioning in the shoe, you know, right. um, and, and how the cushioning no longer dropped from the heel to the toe. And so I think it's ironic that um, the likes of Merrill and New Balance and others took the shoe and made made it, or took the term and made it kind of an uber minimal term. Right, um, okay. So you, did, you
1: didn't, zero drop doesn't have to be minimal, or it didn't even, isn't supposed to be.
0: No, it, it was never meant to be. Um, I mean, uh, it it it's actually referring to the cushioning in the shoe we were modifying very traditional best selling cushioned running shoes um and uh you know i think that's the thing that kind of gets lost and frankly when our our shoes came out people didn't know what the heck to do with them you know it was like well they're they're zero drop but they're cushy <laughs> you know right, right. Uh, and they look like feet with socks, you know, it was like, it was just this really like, I mean, people really had no idea, you know, cause it was so different at the time. It was just so out there. Um, right. and even right after we got started, then minimalism hit. And even then it was like, well, these shoes aren't minimal, you know, it's yeah, like right. people just didn't know what to do. They're not minimal. They're not traditional. We don't know what to do with them. So,
1: yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about cushioning because that like, that, that that's obviously what you guys do is i mean you have some more minimal versions of your shoes and you have more maximal versions uh but but i mean what do you think about cushioning is is cushioning a a bad thing is it better if you if as a runner you can do it without cushioning and you can do the minimalist thing or or do you think that that serves a you know a, a vital purpose in just someone looking to say to run their fastest marathon or, or run an ultra um i mean you know what what is the role of cushioning
0: um, you know, from an injury standpoint, uh, if we were all running around on the African savannah, then, uh, you know, no cushioning would be great. And ideally, I think, you know, we'd, we'd all be running around on the African savannah with no, uh, with no cushioning and we'd be fine. And that would be an ideal state for less injuries. Uh, when it comes to speed, we know scientifically a little bit of cushioning, not a lot, m- mind you, um, a very lightweight shoe with a little bit of cushioning is absolutely faster than barefoot. Um, so from a speed perspective, there's, there can be an argument made for cushioning. Um, and then, uh, you know, you talk about running a marathon or an ultra and this is where it gets really interesting is, um, it really depends on what your issues are because, uh, the research shows that when you wear a softer shoe or a more cushioned shoe, you actually impact the ground harder. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, and, and your joints, uh, the higher, the higher your heel is elevated, the more torque your joints take. Um, and, and you
1: impact harder because your body just senses that there's cushioning and says, okay, it's okay to land hard. Is that all it is?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, it's like, I I think McDougall references this in his book, but the gymnasts in the Olympics, a couple Olympics ago, they put softer mats in thinking it would help the gymnasts. And what happened is the body knew. The bodies of the gymnasts knew that the mat was softer, and therefore, to find stability, their bodies inherently just hit the mats harder, and they ended up having a lot more problems and injuries. And partway into the competition, they actually had to take the soft mats out and bring the old firmer ones back in, um, which allowed the gymnasts to actually their bodies to make the self adjustment and land softer and find a stable landing. And the same is true with shoes. Um, this is. You know, research done by Ben O'Nig up in Canada um multiple studies show that um you know the softer the shoe you wear the harder you hit the ground um and just imagine yourself running barefoot on something soft like sand and how hard you hit versus uh running on concrete without your shoes on uh you your body just automatically makes that adjustment and so from from a joint standpoint uh you know staying away from cushioning makes sense and uh you brought up you know minimalism earlier uh from from a barefoot running and a minimalist standpoint there's still a lot of people out there that swear by the fact that barefoot running and minimalism improved their form and got rid of their knee knee and joint injuries basically but we also know there's a huge chunk of people who blew the crap out of their feet Mm -hmm. and that's where cushioning gets interesting because we know where cushioning does work is at the point of impact, uh, which in the case of running is the feet. Um, I always like to draw the analogy of boxers. Um, you know, the, your boxing gloves typically protect your hands pretty well, um, but those guys have just destroyed shoulders. Um, so, um, so that's kind of the, the way it works. And same thing here. You go with a more cushioned shoe, you're going to protect your feet, but you're likely to expose your joints a little bit more, and vice versa. You go with a less cushioned shoe; um, you know your joints are going to be better off, but your feet are going to take a little bit more of a beating. And uh, that's that's kind of the trade-off and the balance that we're always trying to seek a happy medium for.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. That was one of the big takeaways for me from hearing you talk was was that I remembered the boxing comparison, and that that made total sense. That that is a trade-off between cushioning and not cushioning. You're trading you're trading. Having good feet for having good joints and it's it's kind of one of the others so you got to find the balance in there um, so when you mentioned and I'm curious just this is sort of an aside but you mentioned before that you thought the the big built up heel on a shoe was was because of either the weight or that it was catching the ground because it was so big I mean do you think that's more the issue or was it just more that people had this big shoe on and they that it didn't hurt all of a sudden um, to run like that so so you could just your body just does it is it is it that or was it more that the you know, because that's an issue of, of cushion, you know, what you were talking about was more, was an issue of, of a bigger heel than toe, right? Uh, A big gap. And and then the other question is, is one of just too much cushioning. I mean, what's, are, are both of those the problem with, with the modern running shoe that it's, that it's, you know, but both not, and, and I don't mean ultras of course, but like that it's not zero drop and it's too much cushioning.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think so for sure. Um, the interesting thing is, um, You know, we take a shoe with a 15 millimeter drop that has no cushioning in the forefoot. So you only have heel cushioning Mm -hmm. and we still see the same thing happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's hard to say that getting rid of cushioning, you know, in the front half of the shoe changes people's form magically because it doesn't. And the other thing is we still see uh, just an enormously long transition time because the body is still saying, oh, no, I'm going to land on something hard. I need to brace for impact. Embracing for impact is great because it protects your joints, but it's so hard on your feet, and that drives the transition time up. So, um, back to what you're saying about the raised heel, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's both. It's it's a combination of all of those things. It's it's the weight in the heel causes the foot to dorsiflex more, or basically drives the heel down towards the ground. It pops the toes up, mm-hmm. and then the excess height of the heel. Um, because that foot is dorsiflexed more at that point, uh, the excess height of the heel actually causes uh, people to land early um, or you know out in front of their body where they receive more impact before their body gets in its natural impact absorbing position, which is closer to underneath the body of a bent knee. And then just the fact that you have on a shoe that's doing that, um, like you said, um, you know, it just kind of teaches the body, ah oh, whatever it's it's comfortable, I guess I can do it, and so it's actually manipulating the body to run differently than the body would would naturally run or was was evolved to run or whatever and uh, I love McDougall's comparison here. Um, he says it's basically like putting an oven mat an oven mitt over an egg before you smash it with a hammer. Mm-hmm. The beating is still happening it just it just doesn't feel as bad it doesn't make as much noise it doesn't look as messy yep. and at a joint level that's, that's true you know um, putting an inch of gel or air or whatever underneath your heel merely makes doing something that is not natural comfortable um, right. Right. but it's not actually fixing the problem it's just making it comfortable to do something that's not natural because anybody with half a brain can take their running sho- shoes off and try and run down the road without a shoe on and land the same way they do, you know, overstriding, landing on their heels excessively, um, without a shoe. And it's, it's an extremely painful experience. It doesn't last sure. more than a few steps. People self-modify right away. And, you know, I don't want people to mistake me. I, I don't have anything wrong with a light heel strike. Um, it's just the more excessive, typical overstriding check mark heel strike that we see from, you know, a lot
1: of others. right? Okay, and so and you guys make a fairly maximal shoe, the the paradigm. Is that right? Is
0: yes, that one that one in the Olympus, which is even a little more max than the paradigm. So.
1: Okay, so and, and I mean, are you just making that for the person who has who has foot problems? And obviously, you guys are already addressing foot stuff with the with the foot shaped shoe, which has a much bigger toe box than a typical shoe. Yep. Um, I mean, like, do, do you think the the big the Hoka, the big you know huge shoe, is that? is that a good thing to be wearing for 50 miles and hundred miles or, or are people asking for problems down the road at the, you know, in exchange for not having their feet hurt as bad during an ultra?
0: (laughs) There's a, there's a little of both there for sure. Um, and we, we actually warn people on the website, you know, if you look at the product description for the Olympus, there's, there's a statement there that is, you know, running in a shoe with a lot of cushioning, um, makes it so your foot doesn't have to get, have to work as much. And therefore (laughs) your foot will get, um, week over time and that will expose you to more problems down the road so we recommend trading off with um, even when you're you know wearing a maximal shoe we recommend trading off with uh, a less cushioned shoe to help keep your feet strong and whatnot so and that's the main thing uh, we saw I mean out here in the Rockies maximal shoes were popular here years before they started to get popular anywhere else and I had friends wearing them kind of from the beginning and the thing we saw is um, a lot of these guys went to him and wore nothing but, you know, maximal shoes for a year or two. And uh, after, you know, a, a long period of time, we started seeing, like, ankles just snapping left and right. And people <laughs> breaking bones in their feet because the muscles in the foot weren't strong enough to, you know, hold everything together, basically. And then to top it off, these guys are going out on, you know, 50 to 100 mile runs. And so, yeah, you know... A, at the end of the day, the more you put under your foot, the more you're casting the foot, the weaker your foot gets. It's kind of like wearing a cast on a broken arm to a degree, mm-hmm. um, and that can cause problems. So we definitely recommend offsetting, you know, any anything like that with wearing, you know, less cushioned shoes and or doing a little bit of a little bit of barefoot running on the grass. You know, um, it, that can go a long way, or some single leg, you know, balancing exercises, all that kind of stuff.
1: Right. And by the way, on the topic of uh this is not really exercises, but the the you guys have a great little form thing that you that you did you based your clinic, you know, the little half hour clinic that we did at at the Runners World event. Um do you know what's the URL of that just for people who are listening of the, you know, to get those four or five form keys?
0: Yeah, it's uh com. Okay. So a l t r a com. Yeah, it's and, a very cool site. I mean, yeah. good
1: good page. It v- makes it very simple, which I think is the good way to do form. Just a few simple keys, and uh, they're they're very useful and easy to easy to remember too.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right, so we've talked about zero drop, which is certainly one of the pillars of of the Ultra brand. All your shoes are zero drop, right, without exception.
0: That is correct. Yep. Okay,
1: and then and the other thing that makes Ultra Ultra uh, to me in my mind is is the the foot shape of it, right? I mean, is that yes. is that your other big thing, or am I missing part of the brand there? Is that are those it?
0: Yeah, I mean, those are the two biggies, obviously. Um, and, you know, I, I consider the foot-shaped toe box paramount. It is the thing um, that is really the most beneficial. And okay. um, why is that? And, you know, at my running store, we were doing the, you know, we, we did form all along. But um, before we were modifying shoes to zero drop, we were modifying shoes to get more more uh, toe room. So we were actually making customers buy a size, size and a half bigger than they were used to, um, or maybe not making, but strongly encouraging. Mm-hmm. And then we would actually skip the bottom couple of laces so that the shoe was just really, we were trying to get them as much room as possible because uh, we kind of stumbled on it by accident, but we had customers with like uh, neuromas or um, metatarsalgia, kind of, you know, any kind of forefoot pain type of stuff. Um, and then also plantar fasciosis. And we we kind of stumbled on this. We found that when people got a bigger shoe and we skipped the laces down low and gave them more room, these types of foot injuries tended to melt away or get significantly better. And so this was kind of the first shoe modification that happened in my life, really, that was a big one that was kind of permanent that we had years of testing on was, you know, give people's feet room to be feet and, um, you know, you're going to see a big change.
1: Gotcha. So, and, and I mean, for someone who's never done that, it's it's really different. Your your foot really does spread out. And as you mentioned, it, it takes a little while. Like at first, and I noticed this exact thing during the 5K and 10K at the Runners World event, that at first I was just kind of like, my toes were clenched up and kind of gripping like they do in a regular shoe, just pushed together because you're so used to that. But uh, when I actually thought about it, I was like, okay, they can actually spread out. And it's just a totally different, feel you know to have your toes spreading out to the extent that they can in a shoe um i mean you think that you think that's a pretty significant thing in 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 preventing injury
0: yeah i i do for sure just after watching it for years and years and years that when we can get people's foot to out all of a sudden everything relaxes and you know if you look at you know bunions may have a little bit of genetic predisposal but a bunion is set off by the shoe bending the big toe in at the end of the day. You know, that's what that's what accelerates the process and, and causes the problem and the, the morph over time and, and the pain uh, for most people. And then neuromas are just pinched nerves, basically, um, in between the met heads up in the forefoot. And again, if you can get the foot spread out and relax, you're basically pulling all the pressure off of those um, nerves and you're, you're unpinching them, basically. Plantar fasciosis, really similar. Um, when the arch stays tight and the big toe is bent in, it cuts blood flow off. That lack of blood flow is what causes the, um, the death of the tissue or, or the dying of the tissue there. And, you know, um, hence why we now call this plantar fasciosis and not plantar fasciitis like we used to. Right. Um, the community used to think that it was inflammation related and it's not, there's no inflammation. Um, so all these things, you know, as soon as we can get the foot to relax and, and spread out, um, you know, it takes care of a lot of problems, including, you know, a huge one is stability. Uh, we know when the big toe can kick out and straighten, it closes all the bone gaps all the way up to the heel, um, and it makes it so the foot can't collapse inward. And so any problems you might have with, um, you know, stability issues or your feet collapsing in, I tend not to use the word overpronation. um, even though that's, you know, probably what people are thinking, uh, simply because it's, it's not a definable term. We don't know how much pronation is too much, nor have we ever made much of a link between pronation and injuries. Um, and, and the running shoe industry wants you to think that if you pronate, that's going to cause injuries and therefore you need stability shoes. And it's just simply not true. You know, go on the internet, look up the science. You're not going to find any scientific studies, um, that link pronation to injuries. Hmm. And so, um, You know, but at the same time, having your foot be stable and strong and in its natural position is a great thing. And, uh, it does make a difference, especially, you know, with people whose feet, you know, may collapse in heavily because they're weak or whatever. You know, you're going to put the bone structure in the right place. You're setting yourself up to succeed. This is the foundation of your house. You know, make it as wide and as strong as you possibly can is kind of the calling card at the end of the day. And that's what the foot shaped toe box is all about. Um and it's it's kind of a three step um thing that happens in a foot-shaped toe box that doesn't happen in a traditional shoe. When your foot hits the ground, number one, the foot is able to splay forward and outward and that helps absorb impact. So, you know, number one you're hitting the ground and absorbing impact. Two is the foot splays out and especially as the big toe kicks out and forward, it's able to stabilize the foot. And so you're getting a wider base of support. Um Think of doing push-ups with your um, fingers spread apart versus push-ups with your fingers all together. And, you know, it makes a big difference. So same thing with your, um, you know, how much more stability you're going to get with your feet. So again, number one, you know, foot hits the ground, spreads, disperses impact. Number two, as the foot spreads out, you're going to get a more wide, stable base of support. And then number three, because it's in this um, more natural wider stable position the foot's actually able to push off the ground more powerfully so you get that one two three bang 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 that happens in the gait cycle that can make a big difference at the end of the day you know in three miles six miles it might be kind of nice at mile 47 big deal <laughs> right, right real big
1: yeah so. definitely. and i think it was you that mentioned that that in cultures where they only wear open-toed shoes traditionally like they don't they just don't have a lot of these foot problems that we've made up names for and, and have right
0: yeah, it's fascinating data. Um, so yeah, if, if we look at cultures that don't wear open-toed shoes, or don't wear closed-toed shoes, sorry, um, the incidence of foot problems is 3%. That's a 3. <laughs> uh-huh. um, in America, where we have the quote-unquote best shoes in the world, uh, our foot problems are so bad that 73% of us, almost 3 out of 4 of us, take time to report our foot pain. So basically, we go to a doctor, or a podiatrist, or you know, um, you know, somewhere, and say, "My feet hurt. I need help." Um, so, you know, three percent, seventy-three percent. You know, you tell me if raised heels and um, tapered toe boxes are, are causing a problem for people.
1: Right. Yeah, that is fascinating. All right. So, so zero drop uh, is pillar number. Well, maybe that's pillar number two. Number one would be the 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 foot-shaped toe box. And number three, of course, which I know you had in mind when you founded the company, was that was that all your running shoes are vegan, right?
0: Ha, all of our running shoes are vegan. Yes, awesome.
1: Which I'm sure wasn't really part of the company, but uh, but it's true. And so I, I think that's a great thing, uh, especially for this audience. People really do care about that, and I hope you guys keep it that way. Because I've I've seen some other brands that that started out that way, and then then they seem to go a cheaper route eventually, and and just put you know use animal glue, or whatever. But that's important to a lot of people. So I hope you guys will uh, will stick with that.
0: Yeah. We started with kind of a, quite a bit of an eco story as well. So we're using, you know, the first factory we went to, I was like so uncomfortable with producing in China, but literally like 99% of running shoes, high end technical running shoes are are produced real close to Hong Kong. And so I went and lived in the factory for a month and we ended up putting natural tree rubber on the shoes. It was cool watching them just drag these huge rolls of rubber off of trees, Hmm. just right into the factory. And then, um, We use recycled um, compounds for our A-bound. Our A-bound is kind of like a bouncy ball. It's basically a recycled bouncy ball layer of that that we have in our shoes. Um, And then uh, recycled footbeds as well. The insoles uh, have recycled material. So there's a lot of kind of, you know, green story as well as, you know, um, the vegan story as well was, you know, kind of part of things from the beginning. We we wanted to be as kind of friendly to the earth and – things on it as possible
1: so cool i did not realize that. that that's great to know uh all right so so i hope i hope you will check out ultra shoes uh they're they're just i'm i i do not know i don't know what it is but I'm, I'm fascinated by the brand i think it's fantastic it sounds to me like you, you just really do have it figured out and uh I'm, I'm glad to have had you on here so uh where should people check out check out ultra shoes what's the best place to go
0: uh probably just go to our website uh ultra footwear or ultra running.com uh either way is good and uh, definitely check out, check out the forum tips, uh, the, the Run Better initiative on ultrarunbetter.com. That's, uh, you know, to me, that may be the most important thing we do um, in addition to just educating people on how to protect their bodies and, and getting onto you know, natural surfaces and uneven surfaces.
1: Cool. All right. And the last thing, I, I can't let us go without mentioning this because I didn't realize the whole time you were talking uh, when we were at the Runners World event. But that, that you are, are something of an elite runner, or certainly were as a kid until you got this injury, and now you're kind of working your way back. But uh, you you think you have the record for, for the 12-year-old marathon, right?
0: Yeah, world best for the 12-year-old marathon,
1: correct. Like
0: 2.45, is that right? Two, wow, you know your stuff, yeah. Well, 245. I was amazed.
1: <laughs> and, and I think you ran a marathon, you said at like 8 or 9 or something, right?
0: I did my first when I was 10. So I really wanted to when I was 9. My parents wouldn't let me. So, okay. and Ten was the uh the first one, three hours and eight minutes, and uh, just kind of kind of got got out of hand from there. So yeah, that is
1: amazing. That's very cool. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, and now and now you're more an ultra guy, right? Uh,
0: ULTRA. You ultra, know, right? Yeah, now I uh, I prefer. I don't know. I mean, I've been running five k's this year simply because it's all my body will let me do. For anyone that doesn't know, I had a a big ski accident a couple of years ago that I'm still working back from. Um, and, uh, I can go long and slow or I can go short and fast right now. So, uh, when it comes to racing, the only thing I can really race at the moment is, uh, you know, uh, short and fast. So, but, you know, I hope that, but I've been doing a lot of long and slow too. Uh, last year I became the first person to run to the top of all the 11,000 foot, uh, mountains in the Wasatch range here. So that was, that was, that was plenty of, uh, ultra distance stuff right there. Right.
1: Cool. All right. Well, great to know. All right, Golden, thank you very much. This has been really fun for me. I uh, love the brand, and I'm looking forward to trying out more shoes than, than what I have right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I will be writing, out, writing about Ultra a lot, and uh, and I'm a fan. So, so thank you very much, and, and keep doing what you're doing.
0: Awesome. And uh, I don't think we talked about this, but um, we ought to do a shoe giveaway to the listeners.
1: Oh yeah, so, we definitely should do that. Uh, so
0: whoever wants to drop in a comment, um, we'll put them in a drawing, and uh, or or however you want to administer it. We'll, that works, let's make that it works happen- perfectly
1: fine. Let's, yeah, let's, let's, we'll, let's just say leave a comment below the podcast page where it's posted, and uh, I guess I should mention the well. Let's see. For those who won't know where it is, um, yeah, whatever. If you go to let's say if you go to no meat athlete slash ultra a l t r a we will redirect that to the podcast page so that you can find it in in case you you know just listen and don't usually go into the site um but yeah so go to com slash a l t r a ultra and uh yeah and enter and then and then i guess we'll pick a winner and they can they can pick out any shoe they want
0: yeah sounds good all right thanks for that yeah any shoe shoe of choice and You know, we want to work it through Facebook or or those pages as well. We can do that too. So,
1: okay, cool. Awesome. All right, well, thank you very much, Gordon. I appreciate that. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right, talk to you soon. All right, thanks. All right, bye.